Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of The Backstory by Commercial Observer. We have an important discussion for you today, revolving around an expose our finance editor, Brian Paskus, produced on the prevalence of child labor in the construction industry. This expose is our featured story for the week of August 7th, so if you'd like to learn more, please read the full article at commercialobserver.com. Without further ado, here's our episode. Good afternoon. My name is Chava Garari. I am an editor here at the Commercial Observer. Hi, my name is Brian Pasikas. I am a reporter at the Commercial Observer. And we're here to talk about a really important story that uh, Brian has written. It's on the subject of child labor on construction sites. Um, this is a trend that we're seeing you know, across the country. It's not only in construction, but that is uh, our industry. So we wanted to look into it a little bit more. Obviously, it's a troubling topic, but something that we need to not turn our eyes away from. Um, so Brian, why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of, you know, from the top, uh, what the story is, and we can get, get into some details after that. Sure, sounds good. And thanks for having me, Hava, to talk about this. It was certainly a, uh, a disturbing story uh, the more I got into it and learned more about it. So I'm happy to share it with our listeners here. Um, I guess ultimately the, the thing to understand is that child labor is very common in the United States. And it's easiest to understand the nuances of it by almost envisioning a Venn diagram. So on one side of the Venn diagram, you will have uh, child labor. And then on the other circle, you'll have migrant labor, illegal uh, immigrant labor, uh, undocumented uh, labor. And then in between that, you're going to have undocumented migrant child labor. Uh, So our research and our article looked at all three of these phenomenon, uh, but but really focused on how children, uh, both U.S. children uh, and then uh, undocumented migrant children, are being used in the uh, construction industry. Uh, because as a real estate publication, we wanted to kind of hone in on it from the construction viewpoint. And um, what we've studied was uh, you know, we really kind of uh, targeted the state of Iowa as kind of our uh, home base here for for looking at what uh, is happening here with child labor in construction in the United States. So this story started back from when the New York Times did this really big expose a couple months back on the issue of child labor. And one of their examples was of um, children on construction sites in Florida. Um, And so that's what kind of got us started. But as you said, your story starts off with an example in Iowa. So can you tell us a little bit more about the sort of example that leads off the story? Sure, of course. Um, Well, I got to give credit where credit's due. The Times did some amazing reporting. Uh, this past spring, uh, I think Hannah Dreyer was the reporter, um, and then Reuters uh, also had some excellent investigative work. And those two publications really examined the phenomenon of child labor, especially in factories, in car plants, in packaging plants across the country, and how so many of the children being exploited uh, for those jobs, working long hours, dangerous hours without any regulation, supervision, so many of them are migrant uh, children. So. Um, what I found was, um, you know, I, I first reached out to a number of construction unions uh, to learn, you know, my main questions for them were, are any of your competitors, uh, you know, using uh, 
child labor, migrant labor, and have you uh, made any complaints to your union? Have you heard about this? Have any of your union members complained? Uh, this and that. And what I uh, was pointed to was um, a representative from a Midwestern carpenters union. Uh, her, her name was Felicia Hilton, and she spoke with me about uh, going on site in, the, in this past April uh, with multiple Iowa representatives from uh, the state house, um, and they found a 11-year-old child uh, working on a construction site in downtown Cedar Rapids. And she discussed um, how often uh, she examines these work sites with politicians, business people, labor leaders, and they usually examine work sites that uh, are following the rules. And then there are work sites that don't. And she uses those, uh, you know, unannounced visits to create a contrast between what should be happening uh, with standards and regulations and safety and, and, and workers uh, who are vetted and those who are not. Uh, and so Ms. Hilton um, really took me inside uh, the construction industry and, and how it works. And uh, for, for those of us who aren't as familiar with it, I think it's important to understand that construction is, is really, it is very much a union business. There's, there's general contractors who are union uh, members, and there are then subcontractors who are union uh, members in shops. But then there's a nebulous world of non-union subcontractors who uh, are the ones who really break the rules often. And these non-union subcontractors uh, find workers, uh, many of whom are uh, illegal uh, you know, migrants and, and child migrants, and are, they find these workers through labor sponsors, are what they called. And these sponsors basically poach children, they poach uh, migrant workers, and they bring them to the uh, non-union subcontractor, and they say, hey, I have these workers for you. These, these people are going to work cheap, they're going to work hard. You, you don't even have to pay them anything, and they'll get the job done. And so the whole construction industry, uh, it, this isn't talked about people. A lot of people didn't want to go on the record. Many people didn't want to discuss this. But a large part of the United States construction industry is fed and supported by uh, non-union child labor and illegal migrant labor. So uh, that, that was what I learned. Lisa, that's some stark. I mean, I feel like even though I've, I've, you know, read your story and I've read the research, it's like it's very hard to accept. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, either don't want to see this or don't see this. Um, what did you hear from people who are in the industry? You know, what did they tell you that they're seeing on the sites? I spoke with two general contractors who are union uh, members, and, you know, they were very adamant to me. Uh, one was in Maryland. The other one was in Texas. And they were very adamant about not seeing any child labor uh, on their sites and, and, and around their industries. They said, they, we, we don't know anything about that. But they were um, very, very um, persistent in, in, in how, how often they see illegal uh, migrant labor in construction and that it is, uh, one even told me that in his shops, usually one out of 10 workers are usually going to have to be let go every, every so often because, you know, he learns they don't have their papers in order. They also said that there aren't enough workers. The industry needs uh, migrants, regardless of their age, to support uh, the construction uh, across the country. And that not, not many, you know, died-in-the-wool Americans are looking to go into construction and, you know, work these 
difficult jobs and long hours and it's not a highly educated industry you know once you learn how to build a house you you can do it over and over again and it's there's just not a big pipeline of young natural born americans who want to go into it so the whole industry whether it's construction or working in a factory plant or working in a car plant or picking fruit working in agriculture all those industries i just listed are supported by migrant labor and every so often a good portion of it is supported by child labor and and that's just how it is so you bring up a good uh, point about the labor shortage and we are seeing that across the country a number of republican states have passed laws or introduced laws to loosen child labor um, regulations to make it easier for younger workers to work more jobs um, or longer hours or whatever the case may be I mean, honestly, it's I'm shocked that we're having this conversation in 2023. Um, I know that some of these states are presenting it as, you know, giving children opportunities. But, you know, you, this whole thing is happening on the background of this political movement or, you know, policy movement towards loosening child labor laws. So can you give us a little bit of a sense of what's happening in that space? Sure. Of course. Yeah. And, and that's a big part of this. And I think the first thing our listeners should understand is let's turn back to the Venn diagram I described earlier. Uh, on the left side of the Venn diagram, when we're talking about this, is child labor in the United States. That's under age 18 labor. And that's, you know, the neighborhood kid down the street who wants to work at a restaurant. That's the 16 year old high school student who wants to, you know, build houses during the summer. Um, you know, that that is there are that's U.S. child labor that state houses across the country, whether it's Arkansas or Minnesota or Iowa, uh, often with Republican governors, uh, almost exclusively uh, with Republican legislatures, they are changing the laws. They're loosening existing child labor laws to make it easier for U.S. companies, small businesses, corporations to hire U.S. under 18 child workers. So that's the first thing. And their arguments are, you know, um, it's, this is good for kids. This is good for high school kids to start working, to get some money, to pay for college, to gain work experience, uh, to, to learn work ethic, to, you know, just get their lives started faster. That's the, the argument that's made. But the argument that is also made behind closed doors, and especially when lobbyists enter into the equation, is that these companies, these corporations, these small businesses, they need workers. They need bodies. They need young people who could work long hours for little pay to get the job done. And, and so the Republican Party itself is right now caught uh, in an interesting paradox in that a large portion of it, the, the MAGA Trump movement, is, is virulently anti-immigrant. It's about closing the borders, building the wall, uh, sealing off the country from migrant labor, immigrant labor, illegal immigrant labor, whatever you want to call it. But then there's also a traditional portion of the Republican Party that still exists, certainly. You don't hear about it as much. That's the pro-business side. That's the side that is talking about, you know, making whatever regulations that are in place go away so it's easier for businesses to get workers for cheap, improve profits, uh, improve the bottom line. So th that's the first thing you got to understand is that the Venn diagram is initially focused on uh, U.S. child labor. But then, of course, there's the incredible wave of illegal immigration that uh, has been hitting the country for decades now, year after year. And within that is, of course,
course, the child labor, the un, undocumented migrant child labor. And that, that filters into the system because it is just so unbelievably pronounced uh, year after year. So on that, there was one more question I wanted to ask you, which is uh, you touched on earlier about when these migrant children come to the U.S., they are often released to sponsors. And there's a role that those sponsors can play in sort of feeding the pipeline of workers to the labor brokers that you talked about before. Can you explain to us how that works? Sure, sure. Uh, this is probably the most distressing part of the story, uh, just because of the human lives it involves and the uncertainty that it uh, sets upon them. So what happens is, uh, you know, over the last two years, we've had roughly 250,000 unaccompanied children enter the U.S. from other countries, almost all of them south of the border. And those children are apprehended at the border by Border Patrol, and they're put into the Office of Refugee Resettlement, uh, which is overseen by the Health and Human Services Administration, the HHS. Now, the HHS, it, it isn't set up to deal with a crisis like this. It is it was not expected to do so. It doesn't have the manpower or the knowledge. So its job is to move these children out of the Office of Refugee Resettlement and into sponsors. These sponsors are people who are living in the U.S., typically related to the children's families uh, in other countries or tangentially related or sometimes not even related at all. But they have, you know, a good background and they are vetted enough to be able to take care of children uh, out of the government's hands and uh, they're their guardians once they're here as the children are waiting for their immigration status to be processed and all those things. So the sponsors take the children and HHS effectively washes their hands clean of them and, and they, their job is to get them out of the system and then they, any welfare of the children is ostensibly supposed to be uh, conducted by the Department of Labor. But the Department of Labor is an employment agency, first and foremost. They're focused on jobs, and they're not equipped with the knowledge or experience to check on the welfare of children and making sure that they're okay. So there is very little oversight done for what happens to these unaccompanied minors when they enter our country and when they leave immigration. And so what occurs is the sponsors, uh, some of them uh, are nefarious actors. Some of them are good people, and they take care of the kids. They let them go to school and they assimilate them into the country while they wait for their immigration status. Others are literally monsters, they're coyotes, you, whatever you want to call them, whatever adjective you want to use. Uh, they are picking these children up like pawns and they are feeding them into the underground American economy of, of child labor, of, of agricultural work, construction work, factory work, um, you name it. Uh, they are doing it for a profit they're, they're getting paid for it, and they forget about these kids. They wash their hands clean. And this was explained to me by numerous uh, immigration and labor attorneys, that this is how the system works. And now what's really um, counterintuitive and, and in many ways tragic about the situation is the unaccompanied minors, the children workers, they want to work. They don't care how bad the conditions are or how little pay they get or how little sleep or how much they're being exploited. They're just happy to be able to get some money to send back to their families in Honduras or Guatemala uh, or wherever. Um, they, they are trying to live the American dream in, in its own sad and twisted way. Um, 
so they are willing to do it and they're willing to come here and they're willing to keep at it. So it's a system that is ultimately a cycle uh, that it just it's it's wrapped in immigration. It's wrapped in poor labor standards. It's wrapped in it's wrapped in government uh, negligence and uh, unaccountability. And it's and of course it's 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 really wrapped in greed. Greed is the first thing uh, that that creates this because the companies, the employers want to get the job done for as cheap as possible without cutting you know their own profits. And then the children want to come here to get some money that they can't get in their failed countries whose governments have been thrown into chaos since COVID occurred. And then you have the payoff system with the sponsors and the subcontractors who aren't unionized and the lack of accountability at the government level because of the confusion. So it's quite a mess. Well, yes, this is, uh, it definitely seems like in, in, an issue that's hard to sort of wrap your head around, um, but it is something that we shouldn't be shying away from as an industry. The Biden administration recently did say that they were going to crack down on child labor issues. Um, th- I think the number I saw was that there have been 4,400 cases reported since October. So those are just the ones reported to the Department of Labor, or which, whichever department gets these reports, um, which is, you know, it's important to hear that from them. And I'm assuming that reporting from, like the like you said, the New York Times, Reuters and, you know, our paper putting uh, a spotlight on this issue as well, um, I think you know, it's important to make sure people know that this is an issue. And I think it's important for us as an industry to figure out where our responsibility is and pay attention. Well, I'm, I'm happy to report on it and add Commercial Observer's voice to a, a very complex topic. Um, ultimately, you know, there's only so much government can do. Uh, maybe if the fines were increased and, and regulations were improved, uh, that would change things. Uh, but at the end of the day, too, employers uh, and, and companies and corporations and lobbyists need to look into their own hearts and realize that, you know, you might be getting a marginally improved profit, but you're also uh, destroying a child's life and uh, many, many children's lives. And, you know, you have to look in the mirror and ask yourself whether it's worth it, because that just harkens us back to the, the age of Dickens uh, in the 19th century. And then, of course, what we saw in Gilded Age America in the same century toward the end with child labor was rampant and and you had, you know, that's the legend of Oliver Twist. So uh, you'd like to think in 2023 we've moved on from that, but uh, it's 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 not necessarily so. And 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 it's even more disturbing because it is uh, it is now occurring with so many children aren't even U.S. citizens. They're coming here. uh, They're being pawned uh, and and they're just being taken advantage of in a, in a very uh, disturbing way. So hopefully the more people learn about this, the more it's uh, reported on and discussed, uh, our country will, will, will come to its, be- its best senses and its, and its better angels. All right. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you for having me, Hava. That concludes this week's backstory. Thank you, Brian and Hava, for a very informative and balanced discussion of this challenging issue facing our industry. And thank you for tuning in. Your engagement helps support our editorial team and keeps this podcast running. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to our series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast platform. See you again in two weeks.